44% of American Jews identify as liberal, 20% of American Jews identify overtly as conservative in their ideology. Those stats, according to Gallup, make Judaism, quote unquote, the most liberal religion in the United States. Welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your co-host, Carly Berna. And I'm Ezra Benjamin. We are a Jew and a Gentile, Ezra being the Jewish believer and myself being a Gentile believer who both believe in Jesus, believe that God is doing something unique among the Jewish people around the world, and our goal is to inform you on matters affecting you uh, in the Christian world. And what better thing to talk about than the upcoming elections? So this is really a special series that we're doing. Uh, this is the first in a three-part series about the elections. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about what's coming up. Then we're going to do an episode after the elections are complete, hopefully. Uh, usually, we release our podcast on Tuesdays, but we'll probably be releasing on Wednesday or Thursday of election week just to, based on the results. And then we'll do a post-election episode as well. So we're going to get into all sorts of topics today about the election. So let's discuss. So we're going to start with just kind of a, a, a warning that we're not going to be telling you how to vote in this episode. Um, we are going to talk about general voting behavior, issues, the candidates, how Ezra and I uh, both vote or what things we consider when we're going in to vote. Um, but let's start with general voting behavior. So I'll kind of explain uh, generally historically how Christians have voted, and Ezra will explain how Jews have voted. In general, according to Pew Research, 56% of evangelical Protestants consider themselves Republicans, 28% Democrats, and 16% neither party. Interestingly, in 2016, uh, at the last election, also according to Pew, 58% of Protestants or what's called other Christians in the category voted for Donald Trump compared to 39% voted for Hillary Clinton. So kind of generally, Christians seem to lean slightly to the Republican side. It might be surprising to you. Often we think nearly all Christians are conservatives is kind of the stereotype. Uh, but that's from the Christian viewpoint. I myself really have, have no idea uh, what the general or historical view is for Jews. So Ezra, how do Jews tend to vote? Yeah, it's a good question, Carly. Um, and I think many of our listeners are going to be surprised. I think, you know, sometimes we think, okay, Judeo-Christian, right? America's founded on Judeo-Christian ethics. And that's not untrue historically. And if we share at least the same Old Testament, you know, as our Bible, then generally we must believe the same way. And if we believe similarly, then we must vote similarly. And that's actually uh, not at all the case. Um, the the I'm, I'm going to speak in generalities here, and then I'm going to get to the stats, which are which are more important. And I'm pulling these stats from Gallup. Definitely, we encourage you uh, listening. Uh, check out the stats for yourself. Read the articles. Read an article you disagree with, and see what they have to say. Um, it's it's a good exercise for all of us, not just to kind of be in the echo chamber of people rehearsing our own views. But generally, the American uh, Jewish community has leaned much more liberal or Democratic Party favorable than has the general American Christian community, Protestant, Evangelical, otherwise. So here's some specifics. Carly, in 2016, 71% of people who identified as Jewish in the exit polls voted for Hillary Clinton. 
and 23% voted for Trump. And it's interesting there because I had heard growing up and even in my 20s, you know, when Bush was in office and then Obama, um, you know, that generally, if you have to kind of speak in broad strokes, about three quarters of the American population is going to vote for the liberal or the Democratic Party candidate, and about a quarter is going to vote Republican. And interestingly, that worked out almost exactly that way. It's 71% and 23% in 2016. And then the polls that, you know, as we know, of course, Donald Trump was elected to office and took office uh, in early 2017. So uh, again, early on in the Trump presidency, 68% of American Jews still identified as Democratic or liberal favorable, whereas only 28% identified as Republican Party or they leaned conservative without having a party affiliation. So interestingly, though, there was a little bit of a change in the stat in 2018. Now, you know, why is that? The short answer is we don't know. Speculatively, we could say, well, 2018, we know, is when uh, Trump recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and reestablished the embassy. So there was kind of this pro-Israel, pro-all-things-Jewish uh, sentiment among the Trump administration at that time. You know, Or maybe it was the economy was booming, and so the portion of the Jewish community, uh, which had more of a vested interest in seeing businesses thrive in the U.S., maybe started to lean more conservative. Uh, again, those are that's speculation on my part. We don't know why. But what we do know is that the number of uh, people in the American Jewish community who leaned Democratic, as they expressed, went from 68% in 2017 to only 59% in 2018. And those who leaned Republican or conservative went up from 28% in 2017 to 36% uh, in 2018. Now, as we've come into 2019, 2020 election season, those numbers have gone right back to where they historically are, about three quarters identifying liberal, one quarter of the American Jewish community identifying as conservative. Um, but it was interesting midway through the Trump campaign, through his, you know, the, the first four years, depending on if he gets reelected or not during uh, that first term in office, to see that sentiment shift a little bit, if only temporarily. Um, and in terms of ideology, 40, now I'm going to speak to how the American Jewish community compares to the American voting public at large, just kind of as a final stat. 44% of American Jews identify ideologically. I'm not talking about the political, you know, who they voted for, but their ideological bent. 44% identify as liberal versus 25% of the American general public uh, identifying overtly as liberal. And then on the other side of the, of the aisle, if you will, 20% uh, of American Jews identify overtly as conservative in their ideology, whereas 37% of the general American public uh, identifies uh, as conservative. So there is a marked difference, Carly, between general American behavior and American Jewish behavior among those who identify as Jewish. And actually, those stats, according to Gallup, make Judaism, quote unquote, the most liberal religion in the United States the most liberal major religion. And again, our audience may be very surprised to hear that because when we think of Jewish community, maybe we're thinking of the very orthodox, very conservative uh, Jewish man who's davening, you know, who's bowing up and down and praying and uh, who's all about biblical values. That represents the vast minority of the American Jewish community. Many are reformed. Maybe they believe uh, the Bible is true. Maybe it's a storybook about the Jewish people. Maybe God exists, maybe he doesn't, and they're going to vote more liberally. So there's some of the stats um, in terms of the American Jewish community. Uh, but Carly, you found something different about the American Israeli Jewish community, correct? Yeah. Before I talk about the I American Israeli Jewish community, 
Um, it's interesting because w- when I think just a- a- as a Christian, like I often think the cons- the Republican view is often pro-Israel. Like that just is kind of the, I guess, the, the generality. What is Trump's relationship then with um, American Jews who vote liberally when he, you know, when he kind of proclaims himself as pro-Israel? It's tricky. Trump... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm smiling here. Our audience can't see it. I have a big smile on my face because what I'm about to say could be true on any given day. But Trump made an inflammatory comment uh, not, so, not so long ago. Uh, I'm going to quote it here. Donald Trump said this. And keep in mind uh, the number we just, we just quoted, 71% of American Jews in 2016 did not vote for Donald Trump. Okay, so there's already kind of shaky ground. Uh double the number of American Jews identify as liberal as those who identify as conservative. So Trump said this, this is a quote, look it up online. In my opinion, if you vote for a Democrat, this was to the American Jewish community. In my opinion, if you vote for a Democrat, you're being very disloyal to Jewish people and you're being very disloyal to Israel. Only weak people would say anything other than that, end quote. And then the day before, here's another quote from from our president, quote, I think any Jewish people that vote for a Democrat, I think it shows either a total lack of knowledge or great disloyalty. So that was obviously inflammatory, uh, if not offensive, you know, resulted in incredible uh, pushback, uh, did not help his stats in the polls. Let me say that because the majority of the American Jewish community who heard that is voting for Democrats and is leaning liberal. what we do with that comment, well, that's a story for another podcast, and we're not going to get into that, but there is a little bit of a rub between uh, Donald Trump's pro-Israel politics and his perception in the American Jewish community. So now to the Americans living in Israel, uh, we should look at those stats too. Fill us in, Carly. Yeah, so um, like Ezra mentioned, I found uh, something a little different about Americans that are actually living in Israel. Uh, in 2016, the, the last election, Trump received 49% of the vote from American Israelis compared to Clinton receiving 44% of the vote, uh, which seems like kind of half and half. But interestingly, four years earlier in the previous presidential election, 85% of American Israelis voted for Mitt Romney. So it drastically decreased by nearly 40% um, when when Trump was in office, which is is interesting. Why, why do you think that is? Yeah, you know, it's hard to say. I think part of it is um, Americans living in Israel, and and America and Israel are, are two of the countries that allow dual citizenship. Other countries, actually, for, for Jews who immigrate to Israel, who make Aliyah, they actually have to surrender their uh, the citizenship in their country of birth or their country of origin in order to become an Israeli. So Americans uh, at present, and I don't see this changing anytime soon, uh, hundreds of thousands or so of American citizens uh, also enjoy Israeli citizenship, and, and many of them live uh, in Israel. So they're much more attuned, if you will, to how American foreign policy affects the land where they live, which is a country, as we know, which is surrounded by over 80 million Arab people and several nations who overtly, uh, nations and then within those nations, terrorist groups, we'll talk more about that in a few, Uh, who are committed to the destruction of Israel and the Jewish people, which is obviously a problem. So whereas an American Jew can visit Israel on vacation and say, well, I generally lean liberal, an American Israeli 
uh, living in the land of Israel is going to have very different views. The foreign policy component is much more important than maybe the daily uh, U.S. life component that they don't experience living abroad in Israel. So that's part of it. I think Trump is a very polarizing figure. I doubt that many of our audience is going to uh, uh, disagree on that one, wherever they fall on the political spectrum. Um, and because of that, Carly, whereas more people were willing to kind of say, OK, well, uh, I'll go for Mitt Romney. You know, I appreciate what he says. Uh, he's balanced. Less people were willing to swallow the Trump pill, even if they saw his policies and his politics as more beneficial for the security of the state of Israel. So I think that's part of it. Um, and in terms of what those specific policies and positions are, we're going to talk about that in, in a minute. Yeah, that's interesting. I think um, what's fascinating to me is that Israel, of course, is you know one very small piece of land if you look at the entire world. But the presidents or the presidential candidates have opinions on Israel, and that's so important to everyone who's voting. So, like, I'm not looking up, you know, what Trump's policy is on Germany or, you know, Turkey or something, you know, but his policy on Israel or Biden's policy on Israel is so important. Like, why is Israel so important? This tiny little piece of land, everyone wants to know what the presidential candidate's policy policy is on this tiny little piece of land. Right. And I think for one part, there's kind of a, a, a political answer. And then the other part is spiritual. Let me do, let me go backwards, actually. Let me do the spiritual. For our audience, right, where, and part of our podcast, as you said, is educating Christians on what, what is it, what the heck is it that God is up to concerning Israel and the Jewish people? And what does that have to do with believers in Jesus who don't have any Jewish background or heritage or anything? And we don't have to read too far in the scriptures to understand this idea that God is committed forever to a specific land and to a specific people. And for two millennia, the land and the people were separated from each other. And now they're, you know, since 1948, since the UN partition on Palestine, as it's called, where there was this sort of overnight vote to reestablish the modern state of Israel, those things are united again. So spiritually, regardless, it's funny because even people who wouldn't acknowledge that God exists somehow find themselves wrapped up in this idea of Israel and the Jewish people and this, this unexplainable interest uh, and focus, either positive or negative, on Israel and, and, and the Jewish people and the Jewish state. So there is a spiritual reality there. And we see, you know, we, we read the scriptures and it says that there's a day coming. And I believe this is not kind of an, an allegory. It's really a day coming. When that is, I don't know. The Lord knows. The Father knows. Um, there's a day coming when, quote, all the nations of the world will be gathered together against Jerusalem. And uh, Christians know that verse, right? Even if we don't understand the implications of it, we understand there's this idea that before Jesus comes back to rule and reign, there's going to be this massive international attempt to destroy Israel and to annihilate the Jewish people. And just when it looks like all hope is lost, Jesus comes back and we know how the story ends. Um, so without going into too much detail there, there's a spiritual reality that as things heat up, you know, COVID happened this year, there's so much in the world that we thought was kind of secure. And then all of a sudden everything's thrown up in the air and changes. And we all have much more of a focus on, hmm, well, it seems like the last days are closer than maybe I thought they were 12 months ago. However close or far away that is, there's definitely a recentering of focus among uh, the Jewish people and the Christian community on what's happening in Israel, what's happening on the Middle East, because we understand, or if we don't, we should understand, according to the scriptures, that the end of the story happens there. That's where the final scenes of things kind of wrap up, is specifically in the land of Israel and in Jerusalem. So that's that's the spiritual answer, Carly. I think 
kind of in the natural, if you will, the political answer is regardless of how you vote, Republican, Democrat, liberal, if you don't vote because you're so disgusted with what's going on, I think there's a willingness to recognize that Israel is the most stable democracy in the Middle East and America's best friend in the Middle East. So politically, it's wise for the United States to stand with Israel. And I think there's an awareness that without is without the United States support, and this Bibi Netanyahu, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu knows this. Every Israeli prime minister knows this, whether they're favorable to the US president at that time or not. If the US were to sever relations or to really cool relations and to withdraw military support of Israel, apart from God's protection of Israel, Israel is in hot water because all of a sudden it's a nation with very few, if any, strong political allies that surrounded, as, as I said, by tens of millions of people, many of whom are not favorable to their existence and armed terrorist organizations that would seek to destroy. So there is this reality that, look, you know, maybe I'm super pro-Israel, maybe I'm not sure, and maybe I'm actually kind of annoyed about how Israel deals with Palestinians and how they deal with politics, human rights, whatever, but there is an awareness in American thought on either side of the aisle, that the American relationship with Israel is important. It's important for us in terms of our interests in the world, and it's important for Israel in terms of its security and existence. So there's kind of a long answer about why this issue continues to be uh, at the forefront of the headlines and why, you know, why we're talking about Israel and Middle East politics and not about Germany or South Korea and the presidential you know, candidates' positions on those countries. So I think people might be surprised by how you'll answer this next question. But now we're going to get into, you know, the candidates and what some of their views are on just a handful of topics. Um, but which candidates or candidates are pro-Israel? Yeah. So this is important. And again, I want to say, listen, listen to us. We love when our audience listens to us, but don't listen only to us. Check the details out, read the news, read the news that disagrees with your interpretation of the news and do your own research, especially in the coming weeks as you prepare to vote. And if you're not planning to vote, think again, because it's important. So regardless of how you're planning and preparing to vote, um, interestingly, Carly, both candidates are pro-Israel. Both candidates have immediate and extended family members who are part of the American Jewish community. Both candidates have stood with Israel. Both candidates acknowledge that no matter what happens, so to speak, we will not withdraw our support, our, our military position in standing with and supporting Israel and Israel's right to exist in security. So I think it's really important, you know, if, if, I, if I had to place a bet, which I'm not going to, but if I had to, my guess would be that the majority of those listening to our podcast are going to go and vote for Donald Trump. You know, that's that without without any commentary on that. And as you said, we're not telling people how to vote. I'm not going to tell you how I'm going to vote, but I'll tell you, you know, we'll both discuss, Carly, the issues we're thinking about as we go to the as we go to the voting booth. That being said, it's important for us to recognize that we shouldn't say Donald Trump is pro-Israel and Joe Biden is anti-Israel. That is wrong. Read their political statements, read their campaign platforms. That's not the case. Both candidates are pro-Israel. And I can't think of a time in the last few decades when any finalist in the U.S. presidential race has said that they don't stand with Israel, they're against Israel, they're somehow opposed to the existence of the Jewish state. So first issue is both candidates agree that Israel should exist that the Jewish people have a right to their homeland, and they say that America will stand with Israel militarily, politically, ideologically as its best friend in the Middle East. So interestingly, both candidates agree on that. Yeah, I think that will be surprising for a lot of people listening. 
So the second thing is, what are their positions on anti-Semitism? Yeah, again, both candidates, our audience is going to get annoyed with me because maybe you want you want me to say how how vehemently opposed the candidates are. And we know on many issues uh, that we see in the debates, if we have the stomach to watch those debates, uh, we can hear that. But again, on this issue, both candidates flat out condemn anti-Semitism. Uh, I would say that Donald Trump during his presidency has been more vocal about that. Now, the challenge is, without commentary beyond this, that unfortunately, segments of some of the communities that are very pro-Trump in their voice are also either anti-Semitic or some have expressed neo-Nazi tendencies. Now, President Trump has condemned those things, but it's guilt by association. And so the waters are a little muddy here. But I think what's important to do is to read both candidates' quotes and to read uh, what their what their um, campaigns have to say on the issue. Both candidates recognize that anti-Semitism um, quickly unexplained uh, irrational uh, bias against or persecution of or derogatory treatment of the Jewish people simply for being Jewish. There's a quick, you know, that's not the Webster definition, but that's what I can give you on the podcast. Both candidates agree that anti-Semitism in any form is intolerable and to be condemned. And both candidates also recognize, and this is important for our audience, I think, to understand, is that anti-Semitism is a gateway toward larger ethnic, racial, religious persecution. Uh, Biden says it always starts with the Jews. When he was asked about his feeling on anti-Semitism, this is almost a quote, look up the direct words, but he says, it always starts with the Jews, but it never ends with the Jews. So former Vice President Biden and President Trump recognize this is a problem and it's not to be tolerated. So they both agree on that issue as well. Yeah, that's interesting, especially with all of the different racial tension going on, that, that anti-Semitism is kind of a, a, a gateway to that. Okay, so how about uh, the candidates' views on Jerusalem? Yeah, so this one, there's a little bit of a disagreement, and I'll try to uh, highlight the nuances of that. What I want to say first, again, may be frustrating to a portion of our audience, but hear ye, hear ye, Joe Biden, when asked specifically, if elected president, are you going to relocate the U.S. Embassy from Jerusalem where President Trump placed it when he recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel? Uh, are you going to relocate it back to Tel Aviv? Are you going to move the U.S. Embassy out of Jerusalem uh, in the opposite act that President Trump moved it to Jerusalem? Biden has said unequivocally, no, I will not do that. He disagrees with the manner in which the Trump administration uh, declared the recognition of Jerusalem as the capital and quickly moved the embassy to, to Jerusalem uh, in 2018. But he has pledged that he will not move the embassy out of Jerusalem. And one nuance here, Carly, we, I, we've talked about this in some of our other Israel-related content, and we encourage, uh, we encourage you at home to check that out as well. Christian and Jewish views on Israel, the Middle East, the land of Israel, Israeli politics, etc. But it's an important thing to recognize. Donald Trump did not, did not establish Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. The U.S. president or any president outside of the nation of Israel has zero authority to establish any capital in Israel. Jerusalem was the capital of Israel, recognized by the Jewish people as, quote, the eternal capital of Israel and the Jewish people, and recognized in the modern state of Israel as its capital since the foundation under Ben-Gurion of the Jewish state 70 plus years ago. That being said, the United States and most other nations in the world, for political reasons, in order to be PC, did not recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. So some of our audience is going, yeah, 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 I got that. A portion of our audience didn't know that, and it's really important that we don't misuse or we don't we don't accidentally misspeak and say, in 2018, Donald Trump established Jerusalem as Israel's capital. 
no stinking way. It already was. Uh, he recognized it. So Biden has pledged not to unrecognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. Now, the one nuance is he disagrees with the way it was done, but he said, I'm not going to change it. The second nuance, Carly, is that in recent years, there was a U.S. Uh, diplomatic presence in East Jerusalem. In essence, almost, you know, if there's already a, a presence in Jerusalem, why do you need one in East Jerusalem? Because the proposed state of Palestine would have uh, either a capital or a strong presence in East Jerusalem. In essence, on the other side of the Mount of Olives would be another nation. And so the U.S. established a diplomatic mission in East Jerusalem as a precursor to recognizing the state of Palestine, which still doesn't exist uh, to this day. So uh, the Biden administration has pledged to reestablish a U.S. diplomatic mission in East Jerusalem toward the same end of recognizing the Palestinian people more as kind of a pre-state or a legitimate pre-state. The Trump administration has pledged to do no such thing. So that's an important distinction. It seems like a little bit of a nuance, but we have to look several years down the road. Why would the U.S. establish a diplomatic mission in something that's not a country? Well, because the Biden administration expects and would work toward it being a country. And I know we're going to get to that in a second. Yeah. So the last kind of view we're going to talk about is each candidate's views on the Palestinian Authority and one state or two state solutions. In terms of the two state solution, interestingly, both candidates have pledged a commitment to a two state solution. What do we mean by that? Real quickly, again, listen to our episodes on Middle East politics, Israel, the land, and the people. Um, but what that means is that both candidates have said that they are, and Trump has already begun this in his first term, he's pledged with the whole vision for the Middle East uh, plan, which has been rolled out over the last few years, more on that in a couple of weeks, to work with Israel and the Palestinian Authority or the Palestinian Liberation Organization, PLO, to establish a state of Palestine including many of the areas that's currently the West Bank. So what are the differences? Well, I'm going to give you a Jewish answer. There's many ways to there's many ways to answer the question and I think really Carly time will tell. That's why it makes it difficult to vote this election based on the issue of a two-state solution. Both President Trump and former Vice President Biden have said they are committed to a two-state solution. They are committed to the establishment of a state of Palestine. Now the borders of those states are very different and you should look on a map. I'd say the best answer I can give our audience is Google it and say Biden two-state solution map, Trump two-state solution map, and you can see both parties' proposals. The maps look similar, but there's some important differences in terms of Jewish people's rights to live uh, in some of the areas that are currently known as the West Bank or Gaza or other areas. But both parties are committed to a two-state. Now insert Ezra's political commentary here, I'm not in favor of land for peace. And so for me, this is a problem. What I mean by that is I'm not in favor of giving land that was won in military victory by the Israelis in the Six-Day War in 1967 to the Palestinian people as an independent state to which Israel no longer has any right in hopes of somehow establishing peace. I don't think you can give land for peace. I think we saw that in 2005, 2006 with the Gaza Strip. Ariel Sharon offered the Gaza Strip to exclusive Palestinian control in hopes of getting peace. There was no peace and now that's uh, a strip of land on the border with Egypt and bordered by the Mediterranean, which is overrun with terrorism and other problems. So anyway, uh, I'll pause my commentary on that issue there, but to my chagrin, both candidates this election are committed to a two-state solution. In different ways, research the differences for yourself. We could do three hours on that. But uh, again, that may surprise our audience to, to, to learn. 
Yeah. And as Ezra mentioned, we do have three uh, podcast episodes. They're not out yet. They'll be out after this election series, one on Israel, the land and the people. So if you want to learn more about the history of the land and what has happened, those will be great episodes that we were able to go into detail on that. Um, but, you know, if you're listening, you might be thinking, you know, why aren't we talking about the most recent news, which is the Abraham Accords peace agreement that Trump signed, you know, in the last month or so. Um, we are going to talk about that uh, next week in, in the following episode once we know who the next president is and um, how, how that will be affected, what will happen in the future on the, of those relations um, once we know who the president is. So we're not ignoring that. Uh, we know that that's happened. We'll talk about that. Uh, anything else that's happened recently that Trump or Biden have said or discussed that we want to inform the audience on? Yeah, you know, Carly, as you said, now we're hearing, you know, uh, so the Emirates and Bahrain have established diplomatic relations with, with Israel. Is that good or is it bad? Is it economically motivated? Is it politically motivated? Is it ideologically motivated? Yes, 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 yes. Time will tell is the best answer I can say. And we're going to unpack the nuances of that. And I think especially depending on who's elected two weeks from now, Carly, we'll have a lot, well, a week and a half from now, we'll have a lot more to say in terms of the implications of whether those agreements will be upheld, expanded, or retracted, depending on U.S. involvement in the region. But I think really right now it's wait and see. And the important thing is understand the candidates' positions on the issues, not just what somebody's saying is their position, but what are the words that have come out of their mouth? And then what is their voting history and their own diplomatic relationship history in the Middle East with Israel, with other countries that would indicate to us whether they're telling us the truth or whether their words don't match their actions. And it's an interesting election because both parties now have experience in the White House. One is a president currently, the other is a former vice president. So we don't have to wonder what their policies are in relation to Israel. Look, look at how they voted. Look at the trips they made. Look at their behavior in relating to the Israeli prime ministers. It's clearly displayed for all to see. So in that sense, on these issues, it becomes an easy thing for us to decide, even though the issues are quite nuanced. So that's, that's I think, all we'll say for now. And again, we're going to have a lot more to say once we know who the next president of the United States will be. Yeah, so hopefully that helps kind of just give you a, a real quick view of the candidates on those different issues. Um, but we want to talk about just personally how we both, not not who we voted for, but what are the issues that we consider when we're voting? Right. So Carly, you first. You're, you're going to go into the ballot unless you sent it in via USPS, which is a whole thing this year, which let's not go into that. But I haven't. So I'm going to go into the, the, the voting booth in a week and a half. What are the issues in the forefront of your thinking, in your heart, that are going to really inform uh, which button you press or, or Chad you clip, or depending on how we vote in each state, how you vote? Yeah, it, interesting that you said, Ezra, about mailing in it. You know, it's so like you don't share who you vote for. for. This year, it's like you also don't share how you voted. Right. Like, you know, you, you don't want to say if you mailed it in or if you're actually going in. Oy vey. So many complex issues. Anyway, so what are the issues that, that without disclosing your candidate of choice, if you've made your decision, what, what's on your mind and your heart? Yeah, I think the first thing I would say to the audience is, of course, go to the Bible first. Like, read for yourself um, to figure out what values you want to vote on. And the things I'm going to name, these aren't all of the things I consider. Um, they're just some of them. So, you know, don't write us and say, well, you know, Ezra forgot this in his list or Carly forgot this in her list. 
Um, these are just some of the the main issues. And based on biblical values, I'm I'm really trying to vote based on biblical values. So if you listen to our episode, I think it was last week now, we interviewed Aaron Bear, who's a Jewish believer, and he said something interesting about, this isn't a direct quote, but he said that a lot of the issues really have to do with um, who we are in in Messiah. So identity issues. And then he named a bunch of things like, um, you know, definition of when a child becomes uh, like an unborn child, uh, male and female identity, marriage and family issues. And I thought that was a great way to really sum all of that up. That all goes back to like, almost basically to the garden, the fall, like where does our identity lie? So that's that summation of issues um, is something that I pay particular attention to. Also just the stewardship of God's resources, um, how the policies uh, affect that. Protection of religious freedoms, I think that's important. We want to be able to express our, um, you know, for me, my Christian views freely. Uh, and then just the way that we handle um, the poor and underprivileged, uh, you know, that's very clear in the Bible that that's something God's commanded us to do to take care of them. So that's just a handful of them uh, that I consider. And of course, that affects all sorts of different policies. And if you actually go through those, they land some on the Democratic side, some on the Republican side, just based on, you know, the, the general policy, which I think is so interesting. If you actually look biblically, there usually isn't one party that just, you know, totally aligns. So that's that's my list, Ezra. What's the list that you think of when you're going into vote? Yeah, Carly, I love your list. It's good. And I think, you know, I'll, I'll piggyback on one of the words you mentioned because it's also on my list, freedom. Now, interestingly, people are going to define that differently, right? For some people, freedom uh, relates to issues of racial equality. For some people, freedom for a portion of the American voting public, freedom means that they they believe that every American has the right to marry whomever they want, male, female, transgender, whatever. It's it's kind of how you define freedom, which makes it really tricky. But freedom is on my list. You know, we serving at Jewish Voice Ministries, as we both do in our spare time, you know, when we're not recording the podcast, we have the opportunity to to travel around the world. And every time I come back into the US and I slap my US passport down on the counter and somebody says to me, Welcome home. I'm at times almost, this sounds kind of weird, but at times almost to tears, thankful that I live in a country that actually believes, like our constitution says, that all men are created equal and are endued with certain unalienable rights, which cannot be taken away. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the right to live not be killed and that be okay because somebody's angry or doesn't agree or because we're against their politics or we're against their government and to be free and to pursue what I believe leads to happiness, to abundant life, if you will. Much of the world, much of the world does not enjoy those freedoms. And so for me, I'm looking at the candidates through the lens of who's going to uphold, in my view, uh, really the constitution, who's going to uphold my unalienable rights and the unalienable rights of the person next to me, regardless of their race, ethnicity, political views, whatever, how they speak about their sexuality, who's going to uphold their right to live and to be free and to pursue abundant life. Uh, so that's on the top of my list. As I go in, as you said, freedom of religion is important. The reality of that uh, the hard pill we all have to swallow as people and you and I, Carly, are very bold about our faith or we wouldn't be doing a podcast like this. I need to respect people's right to be bold about their faith, even if it's 
fundamentally different than mine. So the door's got to swing both ways on that. That being said, I am committed to the foundations of America being a Judeo-Christian ethic. Now, as politically incorrect as what I just said is, we were founded by people who understood somehow that this nation of free men and women uh, was under God and that God was somehow involved in the behavior and the decisions and the laws and the practices of this country uh, would determine whether we were blessed by God or whether God would lift his hand of blessing off of this new nation, which is now going on, you know, 250 uh, years old and counting, Carly. So the foundational Judeo-Christian values and how the political candidates, how the presidential candidates, how our governor candidates, how senator candidates come down on those issues is important to me. And then the last thing I'll say, just like is on Israel's radar, national security. Uh, I think that's a big issue. I think the reality is that being a free people and a free country with a Judeo-Christian ethic makes us the bullseye, one of radical Islam that actually calls the United States, quote unquote, the big Satan and Israel, quote unquote, the little Satan. Um, and so many groups out there in the world that are committed to our destruction. We thought that could never happen. And then we learned our lesson in 9-11, now almost 20 years ago, which is crazy. It's been almost two decades. But uh, national security is important and presidential candidates' policies related to military and how we behave in the world and how we protect our people and our borders is, is on my radar as well. And then, you know, to be fair, to tie it back into what we've been talking about uh, for the last several minutes, you know, I've been to Israel. I lost count at 40 times. I love the state of Israel. My wife is Israeli uh, and it, it was born in Israel. So the candidates' positions related to Israel, related to the issue of a two-state solution versus one state, related to Jerusalem as the capital, uh, how the U.S. behaves within interfaces with the Israeli government, these are on my list. Are they the single deciding factors by which I'm going to cast my vote? No. But are they on my list? Yes. And should they be for our, for our audience? Uh, my exhortation to our audience would be at least look at the facts and consider them as you walk into the voting booth. Yeah, I think hopefully what you you take away from this as as the listening audience is we're encouraging you to vote. We're not saying, you know, follow Ezra's list or follow my list or only look at these is Israel issues or issues about Jerusalem or one state or two state solution or all of that. We're just giving information, but really we encourage you to vote. Like Ezra said, uh, it, it's amazing for him to come back and come into the U.S. and have that freedom. We have that freedom to vote um, and, you know, have that say. So that would be our encouragement to you today. You know, look at the Bible, research opposing views and views that agree with you. Look at the candidates and vote. Um, and then next week, we'll be back to talk about, ho hopefully, who was elected president. But before we close... Uh, we just want to talk about, you know, how you can get involved with us if if you love this content and you're interested. Um, we have a way for you to partner with us. So, Ezra, will you tell everyone about that? Sure. You know, Carly, like you said, we stand with Israel um, through good times and bad times. That kind of revealed my bias in that, but that's not going to be a surprise to our listening audience. And we want everybody to understand why they should stand with Israel according to the scriptures. Uh, and to be more informed as a result of engaging with us. But, you know, maybe you're feeling like, man, standing with Israel's good, it might affect my vote, but I kind of feel this burden to do something more towards blessing and working to the salvation of the Jewish people, which was the whole idea from the beginning in the heart of God, that our Jewish people would, would come to know the Messiah. And we believe that that's Jesus, according to the scriptures, according to his life and death, 
and most importantly, his resurrection from the dead, which was a confirmation of his lordship and messiahship. And we want to share that message with as many Jewish people as are willing to hear that. We want to meet practical needs of hurting Jewish communities around the world, like in Ethiopia, like in Zimbabwe, uh, some other some other corners of the earth, in order to uh, one preserve life because that's important, and two, to earn the right to share what's most, most important to us, and that's that's our faith in the Messiah. And if you want to get involved in partnering with us to do that, to serve and to bless Jewish people in the name of Jesus, in the name of Yeshua, we have a way for you to do that. All the details are on a Jew and a Gentile discuss.org. but we want to invite you to get involved through monthly partnership with us as our thank you for doing that. We'll send you a bag or two bags or three bags or whatever you select on the website, uh, depending on how you get involved with us, of delicious, delicious Ethiopian coffee. Carly, we've uh, founded Lost Tribes Coffee Company, which sources some of the top couple percent in terms of quality of beans in the world from fair trade farmers in a country near and dear to our hearts, which is Ethiopia, where uh, we've worked through partner ministries now for over 20 years among the Jewish community and their neighbors. So again, at jewandagentiledisgust.org, all the details are there. Think and pray about partnering with us in the work we're doing, uh, not just directly, but the dozens and dozens of partner organizations in the state of Israel and around the world that you can be a part of uh, supporting and uh, enjoy some of that delicious coffee as I'm going to do as soon as we finish this podcast. Yeah, and Ezra and I actually did a taste test where we compared that coffee with other well-known brands. You can watch it on our uh, on our website. Um, so it really is great coffee. But we hope that you learned something from this episode that it helps inform you as you go to vote in this season. And we hope you come back and listen to our next two election episodes. Thanks for listening today. If you want to hear other episodes, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love if you'd leave us a review, share this podcast with someone you know. You can follow us on social media at the handle A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, you can submit those at the website, a Jew and a Gentile Discuss.org. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. This show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International.